1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: We're going to get a focus today on trade unions in Australia and what may be the biggest shake-up of trade unions in our history with the formation of an alternative trade union movement. With the federal election looming, a lot of workers are concerned that their union fees fund the political party most likely to attack Australia's Christian heritage and threaten religious freedoms? Well, perhaps we can trace the history of trade unions in Australia back to the Eureka Stockade, where William Guthrie Spence became one of the greatest union organisers in Australian history. Spence was a Christian, he was a Methodist preacher and a Presbyterian elder, but today, Trade unions look very different to those early foundations. They remain the most substantial influence in the ALP. The Labour Party is the main beneficiary of trade union affiliation fees and special levies and donations. And you'll know from many conversations that the greatest attacks on our Christian heritage typically come from the left side of politics. That doesn't mean that the right is all wonderful either, but uh, they typically come from the left. Well, we're turning our attention today to an alternative to the existing trade union monopoly. It's called Red Union. Graham Haycroft is the founder of Red Union with a long career in industrial relations. He's executive director of the Nurses Professional Association of Australia He started Red Union, he says, to give workers protection without the politics. Graham Haycroft, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Graham, give us some insight into Red Union today. Uh, How many members do you have? Uh, Give us some thoughts here about your history in a nutshell.
2: Right, we started um, in two thousand and fourteen. I, I actually worked on it for a couple of years before that. I, I retired as a businessman right in two thousand and twelve. I had a very well, a very successful business. I actually employed over two thousand people in the sort of labour hire type business, and it was it was a a processing type business. I had about twenty staff and turnover nearly a hundred million. So I retired, uh, and that lasted three months. I got very bored. Uh, gee, I better do something. And I decided that there would be a good project, um, having been involved in the political process and industrial relations, a good project to really have a serious look at setting up an alternate union structure because I figured correctly that they were charging about twice as much as they actually needed to provide the service. And I was right. So charging
0: twice as much to provide union services, in other words... Uh, advocating on behalf of employees who need some help at a particularly crisis time in their employment and uh, so doing that at half price some will say well what happens to all of the profits that are made by uh, the traditional union movement
2: well well you <coughs> well you may ask Neil uh, the the problem with the the overcharging is monopoly now you've interesting you mentioned the Eureka Stockade. That was actually uh, a union of self-employed people. The miners were all self-employed. So it was really the first union, if you like, in Australia was actually a... An employer's union. An employer's union, yeah. <laughs> self-employed people uh, who were objecting to the uh, the outrageous level of uh, tax that they had to pay. And the the CMFEU have sort of uh, captured the bloody title and, and, and all the story. In fact, uh, it's wrong. Now, Betty, in, in Federation... Uh, there was a general view that uh, the, the the Labor Party was started by the, the Australian Workers' Union in Barcaldon in 1894. Uh, that was when it happened. The union movement started the ALP. The ALP are a, today still are the political wing of the union movement. Like, uh, this is
0: good context, isn't it? Because uh, talking about and uh, say a special hello to our listeners in Bar today and uh, there's a fabulous monument there to the tree, the tree of knowledge uh, yes, where, right. you know, those, uh, those pastoralists met around there and uh, they formed a trade union and, uh, you know, these sorts of formations of the Australian Labor Party. But as you say, uh, the Labor Party formed out of a whole lot of different union movements that were forming all around Australia.
2: Well, the AWU started actually started the ALP. There wasn't a political party for the unions, and they they started in 1890, 1894, I think, um, under the tree of knowledge at Parkes and that was before federation. Uh, there were actually some uh, there, there were some unions around. I mean, there was unions involved in the early eighteen nineties uh, with the you know, there, in fact there were some famous union strikes but in federa- when federation came and the states all joined into into Australia and we um, we, we ended up with a federal system uh, what we then did was if you like formalise it by setting up an industrial relations structure where workers were to be represented by unions and the employer associations be employers by employer associations but and no one objected to this at the day at the time, but they gave the unions a monopoly. A worker, for instance, was not able to represent himself in negotiations with his boss. That could only be done by a union. so the union set up a structure very cleverly where each union had a monopoly of a particular group of callings. in other words, the the aW for instance could only represent shearers and general workers and There wasn't a nurses' union then, but there was a clerks' union. Clerks could only represent clerks, and so on and so on. The the steel workers would have their own union, and each union had a monopoly. Now, the purpose of a monopoly is to charge more, and they did. They charged twice as much as they needed, even from day one. And, of course, that extra money was used then to fund the Labor Party. And it was all open. There was no suggestion that the... they shouldn't be doing it. That, that was their role. That's right. That's not hidden. And so if you then decide
0: that a monopoly isn't something that ought to exist uh, just uh, eternally uh, and you decide that you're going to set up an alternative union system, uh, then you come in and actually, in a competitive way, actually cut the price of representation for that worker uh, and uh, provide union services at a lower cost. Is that what you're trying to do?
2: Well, no, we've done it. A uh, bit of extra history, which is very important. Gough Woodlam in 1973, and Gough was a famous virtue signaller. I, I, I voted for him twice, not the third time, however, uh, because I realised that he was crazy. He adopted two international covenants international labour organisation covenants. They've got numbers, and they go for about a paragraph each, but they're very simple. The first one says, every worker is entitled to join the union of their choice. Remember that, the union of their choice. And the second one says, every worker is entitled to form their own union. Now, think about those two protocols, which under Australian law, they sort of become part of the Constitution. How do you have those two principles and still have a monopoly union structure? The answer is, you don't. So that was all swept under the carpet for 28 years, or 38 years, (laughs) until 2009. You're a
0: little dismayed, Graham, that the right side of politics, the conservative side, somehow rather hasn't recognised that the monopoly isn't something that's set in concrete. What are your criticisms of uh, the conservative side of politics here? Are they are they missing something?
2: Oh, they're hopeless. Um, the, the actual... Uh, probably a bit more history is important. In 2009, when the, the Gillard, or the Rudd government, Gillard was the industrial relations minister, they decided they wanted to... Um, get rid of the horrible work choices they just say and introduce their own Fair Work Act. And they were stuck with this conundrum. How on earth do you maintain a monopoly system and still uh, keep these two protocols viable? And it's what they did that was really interesting, and this is the bit that's not understood by anybody on the conservative side of politics, with probably a couple of exceptions, George Christensen being one of them. Uh, I think Stoker actually sort of gets it, but she's in a... um, She's a good person, but, you know, as an assistant minister, she's got to hmm. toe the line. Uh, you know, Rennie gets it, and there's a, there's a few others, and, and Canavan. The, I've just about named every... The, the others have no idea that the monopoly was ended. The way they did it was fascinating. They set up two acts. They set up the Fair Work Act, which is the one that sort of governs all industrialization stuff. And in within that act, they... Uh, define unions very broadly. The union is basically a bunch of people who, uh, you know, b- basic uh, like like goals. It's not quite as broad as that, but it's quite broad. And there's no restriction on it, on who can set up a union or, or wh- wh- what uh, what person can join whatever union. They then set up another act, another separate act called the registered uh, registered organisation, Fair Work registered organisations. Act, mm-hmm. a separate act, and there they created, not compulsorily, a voluntary structure where all the existing unions, which had a monopoly, they would all register in this, this 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 separate group, and they couldn't compete with each other. But other unions can compete with them, and that was the change. So when we started, the the law doesn't. We don't need to have any legal changes at all. The law allows alternative unions. We just simply need politicians that can read legislation and go, "Well, this is a good idea. Why don't we just support that idea? Why don't we support people who want to join their own union?" Long uh, way around there. I, I suspect
0: no better time to talk about that than when you're about to enter an election campaign. So listeners might be thinking, uh, this alternative union movement called Red Union, uh, well, where out. does yeah, where does it fit in a spectrum of what Trade unions typically do and support the left side of politics. Uh, you like to talk about uh, protection without the politics. Does it mean that your politics are not necessarily aligned? Do you say that you've got a neutrality, or is there a conservative leaning? Where is your foundation in all of that?
2: Well, I wrote the constitution, so and, and I wrote quite clearly that the the union itself could not use any members' fund. For any political party, political purpose, no loans, no advocacy of party political issues. That's not to say that if there's, you know, there's a government issue, that the the Red Unions, so the Nurses Professional Association of Queensland, for instance. I, I'm not actually the executive director of same. I I started it eight years ago. I I simply provide the services. They've got their own executive. Um, yeah, so they they actually set the policy on what, what to do. Uh, my organisation, if you like, the Red Union, is a, is a business which provides support to that, to those, those specific unions. Mm. And so for listeners, uh, you're not a not-for-profit
0: and uh, you're not a Christian organisation, although I'll ask you about your... Christian heritage and affiliations, but mm. what we're talking about here today is not a Christian organization, but there are some things in what you do that will be particularly attractive to Christians, and you've recognized that Christians, in actual fact, in some sense in the workplace, are Inact vulnerable. They're under threat in some different ways. Uh, whether it's because, uh, in some Christian circles, you decided that you wouldn't get a vaccine and therefore you lost your job, uh, or if there are going to be times ahead in the workplace when you might come under threat in some level of vulnerability because perhaps you stand for a certain version of the family, a biblical foundation for a marriage, say between a man and a woman, uh, that your employer might disagree with. So. If you're actually uh, representing someone as a union uh, and there are people who find themselves compromised because of their Christian faith, what would Red Union be able to do?
2: Right. It's probably easy to look at it from the other direction. Uh, We just simply apply their rights. We fight for for their rights, their legal rights, uh, irrespective of what they believe or whatever. The law is quite clear. In the case of the vaccine mandates, I mean, uh, uh, what what the government was proposing in in its broad generality was to change contracts and say, well, uh, your employment contract is, you know, A, B, C, D, and you're going to get paid so-and-so. Oh, here's a new condition that we want to impose on it. Well, the law in Australia says you can't just impose another condition unless you consult and unless you show that that is safe. So we went through the exercise that's forced the employer, the government, to do that. And it has been rather successful, but uh, the most effective use of what we do, I suppose, is is in the negative. Every member that joins us is money that's not going to a you know, part, you know, a sort of quasi political organisation to use against Christians. Right, that's that's its benefit. Two hundred dollars, and I'll show you how we get those numbers later if you want to ask me. It's around about $200 per member per year difference that the red unions are cheaper than, across the board. Uh, That's $200 that can't be used to oppose the church. And the the church has been under attack. I mean, the Pell thing is a classic example of that. Uh, You know, if you take away the funding for the attackers, they're less, less likely and they're less effective in attacking you. Life, culture and current events
0: from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, our special guest is Graham Haycroft. Graham is the founder of Red Union and we're talking an alternative union to the traditional monopoly of the trade union movement. Graham, let's talk about what's gone wrong with trade unions. In my introduction, I talked about the Eureka Stockade, uh, about some wonderful Christian foundations looking after the rights of employers or employees uh, around uh, harsh conditions perhaps imposed by a government and having a voice because you are a collective voice together and uh, numbers mean something when you are pressing your case. Uh, there were wonderful foundations in trade unionism that were very Christian because they were on the lookout for the welfare of the worker. Uh, over history, things have changed. How do you think things have changed over the years?
2: Well, the, the, originally when they were set up, the, uh, the, the purpose of the union fee was to help, uh, quite openly, was to, to help the political party uh, of, of the worker, which was the AWU. Sorry, am sorry, the ALP, yep. the Labor Party. Uh, and and in order to do that, they, as I said before, they, they created monopolies to allow the unions to charge more than they would normally be able to charge so they could get that extra money. The monopolies also gave them a, a huge advantage, which was over time they started to exploit. So if you've got a monopoly and no one else can represent any workers in the place, and this has happened, and it happened this is what the enterprise bargaining association movement is about. You, the union is able to bargain away the members' rights and entitlements in return for compulsory union membership. In other words, we see this right across the board in Coles, Woolies, McDonald's, all those major uh, major companies, and of course, they, sadly, the sadly, uh, the the union involved was the the SDA, and. You know, it's quite legitimate. All all the arrangements were, were, were brokered before the Industrial Commission, so I'm not trying to defame them. But the net effect was that the workers ended up with different conditions from the award, and those conditions were very, very favourable to the employers when you don't have to pay penalty rates effectively you've got huge unit labour cost savings. In other words, you can get better, better return on, on how you run the business. Um, but in return for that, the employers made it compulsory to join the unions. So that's why any, any percentage of union membership in a workplace which is higher than 6%, there is another factor involved in determining that membership. The actual level of people, take 100 people, 100 workers, and say, righto, want you to pay five or $600 a year for the service and we'll look after you have a problem. The number of people put their hands, not up, but they put their hands in their, in their checkbook and write out a check, with, remember we used to do that, uh, is six. Any, any membership level higher than that, there is an ulterior, an, an extra effect coming in. In the case of enterprise bargaining agreements, that was the employer saying, well... If you want to work here, you have to be a part of that union. That's what's gone wrong. Then the unions had mu- too much money, and what do you do when you've got too much, too much money and too much time on your hands? You look for causes that aren't the workers' causes. Mm-hmm. Okay. The attack on the Christians is just one of them. And uh, we might enlarge on that too, because
0: uh, from a care for, uh, an equality that would be fought for for workers, uh, came the socialist principles that undergird the left side of politics. We might even enlarge on that uh, as we go. But let's take a call. Helen is in Bordertown in South Australia. Hello. Hello, Helen. Welcome along.
1: Hello. Good morning.
0: Good to hear from you, Helen. What are your thoughts for our conversation?
1: Yeah, it's just um, struck a chord with me um, as I work as a, a nurse and midwife and was part of the, the union organisation by choice but found that I was not supported in a certain event when I looked for legal advice a number of years ago and began to question and also a lot of the conferences and Workshops were promoting ideals that weren't part of my Christian beliefs as well, and thought, why am I part of this?
0: <laughs> Helen, um, what a great point you are making! Because as a Christian and as a member of the union, if the union doesn't support your belief, you question why you are a part of it. Uh,
1: Graham, what are your
2: thoughts for Helen? Well, hopefully, she's a member of the NPAQ or the NPAA. Are you, are you Helen? No, I've not even heard of those. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you're in right. South Australia. We've got about 300 or four hundred members down there, uh, so you need to go to the Red Union Support Hub site. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's the... Uh, Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the... Ulti- we're, uh, interestingly, the, the fee difference is quite striking. $717.50 for a full-time membership of the Queensland Nurse and Midwifery Union Queensland. You've got the ANMFSA branch down there, haven't you?
1: Yes, correct. And yeah.
2: what, what's their their annual membership fee around about the seven hundred dollar mark?
1: Um, don't recall it's been that much. I have withdrawn my membership over the last couple of years for the reasons I outlined. Um, right. So, yeah. Yes, I, it's, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not so trying to save you on
2: the much? job, but <laughs> yeah, but that's the so what we've done. This is um, there's a lot of nurses out there that feel the need to. It's a requirement for nurse registration that they have uh, professional indemnity insurance. And this was a big... This was this extra lever that I was talking about, Neil and Helen. Yeah. Uh, What's the extra thing that takes it above 6%? Well, for nurses, it's the the requirement for registration to have professional indemnity insurance. Now, until we came along, that was almost solely... that could only be done virtually through the the traditional monopoly unions. But we now have the facility, and, uh, you know, we're half the price.
1: Mm. And that's what I've um, found. And with the organisation I work for, um, I do get professional indemnity insurance through them to a certain extent as well. So I thought, well, why am I paying the additional when I'm still um, covered by my workplace?
2: Yeah, well, that's that's fair, and you're allowed to do that too. Don't, don't get me wrong, but most nurses feel the need to to have the cover, and that's that's what's driven the. Huge membership growth of the traditional monopoly unions uh, when they uh, when a- APRA was effectively formed, and they were very cleverly said, "Well, why don't we make it a condition of nurse registration that you have to have this insurance?"
0: Helen, thank you so much for your call. It sounds like uh, the lights switching on for uh, a lot of people who might be unaware that there are potential alternatives that might not be as abrasive to your Christian faith as some of those that are in the uh, the Monopoly unions. Helen, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Lawrence is in Perth. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome. Lawrence, are you with us?
3: Yes, hello, I'm here.
0: Yes, Lawrence. Sorry about that. What do you, What are yes, your thoughts? Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I used to work for the public service, but I've retired now. I am in the union there, and they, I went to them about something once, and they weren't able to help because there was a technicality in something I didn't understand. Anyhow, I'd, my, I'd like to ask a more general question. Um, with your um, guest there, um, where do you get your principles from uh, to, to do with um, extra money that's available, as you said, and that um, governments, um, maybe um, affiliated with a union, pass laws against Christians. Where do you get that general principle from? Can it be be applied elsewhere? That sort of thing.
2: Graham. look, uh, just elaborate a bit more. I've just got quite yeah, the same yeah, wavelength with yeah, yeah. Just come again, yeah, slightly yeah, yeah. different you direction.
3: That, yeah, you said that um, you you're charging cheaper for uh, union members. Um, but when other people who belong to uh, maybe um, secular unions uh, charge more, then the the cream off the top goes to um, you know to change the laws or make adverse fi- the adverse laws against okay. Christians. You know what I mean? Yes. Can yeah. you, can, where does that general principle come from, please?
2: Well, uh, in our, our our view, is quite simple. Uh, we don't collect the money in the first place, so we can't we can't misdirect it. <laughs> you know, if you've got if if it. The, the cost of providing a union service is around about $400, and and it, it goes lower as you get get greater and greater volume. You know, if we, we get to the stage where we've got 100,000 members, um, you know, we'll probably be doing it for about $250 a year. It, it's, a, it's an economy of scale thing. So uh, what we do, we don't collect the money in the first place, so we don't have to make those sort of value decisions about where, where we're going to direct the money. Uh, we don't do it. Uh, but the effect of members leaving the monopoly unions who do that is to take their money away from them if they don 't have the money then they can 't redirect it in the wrong way so that's that 's our sort of that 's our principle if you like.
0: Lawrence, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open. We'll take some more calls uh, after Vision National News. Uh, just to come back to this. So really, it's a reactive way of saying you won't get the bad outcome because your fees won't be used for the aggressive anti-Christian policies that do uh, uh, you know, uh, tend to uh, follow on with the, uh, the trade unions and the Labor Party. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not proactive in the way that you'd say that this money can be used for other uh, pro-Christian or good cause ventures because really what you're saying here is, uh, no, we're not giving money to any political or religious cause.
2: Hmm. We're leaving the money in the members' pockets. They can give the money to religious cause, uh, not us. We just do what unions are supposed to do and nothing else. Uh,
0: how many are there who are now under red unions? Uh, give about 17,000. About 17,000. Uh, and uh, listeners might be interested because uh, we're going to talk some more, continuing our conversation after the news, but numbers matter when it comes to... Representation of employees, and we can talk about that some more after Vision National News. Our special guest is Graham Haycroft, he's the founder of Red Union. Graham, just before we take some more calls and 1 800 316 316 to join in our conversation, let me ask you about the name Red Union. Uh, I suspect there's a story behind that because. Sometimes people are going to hear Red Union. They're going to think, wow, this must be a red-hot socialist leftist organisation. Uh, give us some
2: insights here into your choice of the name. Oh, the truth is always unbelievably bland. Uh, the the, the colour red, of course, is the colour of the Australian Labor Party. So none of the unions actually used red as their theme colour. And I rather liked red, and I was thinking simply in terms of what's the colour that's going to stand out if you've got a pile of brochures and you want to put a poster up? Obviously red. So I said, well, let's just call them the. Red. <laughs> we'll we'll start. To, what we did, we adopted red as the theme, the theme colour, right? For that reason, we didn't call them red unions particularly. It, it was only later though we thought, well, um, they're all, they're all using the colour red. It's uh, a bit of fun. Let's call them the Red Union, uh, the Red Union Group, and let's call it the, the the service company which Jack McGuire and I run, which provides all the services to these non-profit unions. There's about six or seven other things there. Um, we would call that the Red Union Support Hub. That's all it is. And uh, <laughs> okay.
0: as you say, it's it maybe a little bland, but you raise something <laughs> so important that the trade unions don't adopt the red colour because of the connotation that red is going to be sounding like it's uh, you know a socialist, leftist, uh, communist uh, uh, organisation. But uh, there's also uh, it, it's so the trade unions won't like you. <laughs> they don't like you, do they? Because you've got an alternative uh, or, trade union movement. Uh, but the conservative side of politics doesn't like you either. Uh, why is it
2: that you're in this place where you're not satisfying either side? Well, the the, um, the unions and the Labor Party have got uh, around about one hundred and sixty million reasons a year. Um, if you just look at nurses and teachers, um, there's a lot of money that goes, that is collected in excess of the needs to provide the service. And, of course, we're an ex- existential threat to that. And the same with, I mean, the membership, our membership is miles bigger than the Australian Workers' Union in Queensland and the, the trade, uh, the TWU. Now, the other side of politics, um, without putting too fine a point on it, they don't want to poke the bear. They're terrified of the of the monopoly union movement because they've demonstrated. And if I was if I was running the monopoly union movement, I would do this because right? I'm a winner and I'm tough and I'm ruthless. I would go out and I would demonstrate that I can put three or four hundred people into an electorate beforehand, and I can swing the result by you know, two, three, four, five percent. And I can spend half a million dollars. Now the, the and they've done that. Uh, Not that many times, but every LNP politician is terrified of that happening. And they'll do anything to, oh, now's not the time, Minister, now's not the time. (laughs) They're terrified. So it's a poking of the bear uh,
0: that says, uh, we've got this tension in our relationship with trade unions on the conservative side of politics. Uh, We don't want to upset that too much because we'll have chaos in the workplace right across the nation. So uh, hold some more thoughts on that. We're taking calls on one eight hundred 316 Let's take another call. Jacinta is in Warrnambool in Victoria. Hello, Jacinta. Welcome.
4: Great. Hello. Thank you.
0: Jacinta, what are your thoughts?
4: Um, I'm just calling um, basically with my experience with the Red Union. Um, so I'm a 48-year-old uh, nurse, a registered nurse, and I've been nursing since I was 21, and I was always part of the ANF. Um, And over the last sort of 10 years, I've seen the ANF really swinging towards the left side of um, supporting um, euthanasia and um, gender uh, policies, strange gender policies. And uh, it really concerned me because I was working as a nurse um, with palliative care. And so I'm pushing for um, uh, for dignity in dying and for the people to reach this level of, um, of some peace and um, sharing the love of God and all those things. And this really um, contradicted um, what my role was as a nurse, giving people hope in amidst uh, suffering.
0: Jacinda, and, you're raising some important points here. A quick response from Graham.
2: Uh, well, I agree with everything you've just said mm-hmm. that the... The voluntary employment uh, – voluntary is just dying stuff. That uh, is actually – That that is actually that's got nothing to do with p- giving people dignity and death, as you well know as no. a palliative care nurse. Mm-hmm. It's a political ploy because yep. the, the Labor Party, you know, smarties, the heavies, have worked out that the LNP uh, are very weak on this. And what they've done – they've done it in each state progressively and they've made the big arguments – and in each case, the LNP has just caved in. And the, 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 it's a political play because people like you watch, uh, you're in Victoria, you watch, watch down there when that happened, you go, where was the LNP supporting my, my my particular Christian views in this? And, of course, the answer is they were nowhere. They, the uh, the Labor Party worked out that they could do a, what they call a conscience vote. Mm. And because if they didn't have a, if they, it was forced to a party vote would never happen the the labor party has got too many people that are faith-based enough to tip some of the um some of the, some of their electorates so they can't have a party vote so they've then been calling for a conscience vote and of course the lnp dummies just fall for it mm. and yeah. um there's no such thing as a conscience vote in the alp no. they're, they're told oh, what no. their conscience is and they vote that way but the yep. thing is, the and it's been a wonderful ploy. The um, they have totally alienated people like you and the and the yep. Christian faithful people by um, uh, the you're not going to vote for the Labor Party, but you're not going to vote for the LNP either. And that, from as far as they are concerned, that's a victory for for them.
4: Just yeah. Well, as far as the the Red Union went, it was the mandates that really um, made me really put my head up, and I was like, what on earth is going on? When, when when did we become um, subject to bullying? And so it was the Red Union that came out shining, saying, no, we're going to support you, and help me with the legal paperwork to basically put a stone in the shoe of the hospital, I was in to say, I'm not going to go out without a fire and let you know that this is wrong.
2: Oh, good on you. Uh, the yeah, interesting thing... So I, but
4: I appreciate what you've done.
2: Well, uh, we're proud to do it, and... The interesting thing about the mandates was that initially Sally McManus of the ACTU announced that, oh, that would be a step too far and the union movement could never support that. And then they had a look at the polling and they realised that the people that were really opposed to the mandates were largely conservative voters, people who valued individual choice and personal responsibility. They weren't going to be told by government. And you have a look at the groups that have been... In all of the the government actions by the labor party it was the mandates uh the lockdowns that was an attack on small business uh most small business people don't vote for the a l p but their silence and their lockdowns meant that they're not going to vote for the l e p either and of course the other the other group is the um uh oh the faith based people what's this oh, i was going to use a swear word they won't do that. Um, how, how come you need special rules for church service a funeral and a wedding uh, but not for a football game give me a break that was designed specifically to infuriate the Christians so that you, again you would look around and say where, where are our defenders where are our advocates oh they're silent
0: Jacinda, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open on one 316 Let's just uh, talk about some of the alternative unions that come under the umbrella of red unions. We've been talking about uh, the Nurses Professional Association and, of course, uh, most of the calls that we've had today have been nurses, so perhaps uh, there's others. The Teachers Professional Association... You've got a professional drivers association. You've got the Australian Medical Professionals Society, the Sworn Officers Professional Association for police. You've got an independent workers union, and you've got the business union. Uh, they're all serving their constituents in,
2: in, in various
0: ways. Uh, some of those, uh, obviously, more popular than others at this point.
2: Oh, well, we started with. Um start with the nurses and I think there's there's about 70,000 all up and this is off the top of my head please don't quote me but it's around about I think there's 10,000 uh, uh, nurse members in, in Queensland and I think there's about 3,000 elsewhere there's two and a half I think there's about 3,000 teachers Australia wide most of them in Queensland at the stage and there's a we've uh, got a growing group of police officers are quite unhappy about the way the police officers are being <laughs> being misused and uh, you know the ordinary workers and because, because they are bus drivers so that's that that's that's the grouping of those of those unions and they're roughly the numbers.
0: interesting Our last caller Jacinta she said uh, when you went in to bat for her, uh, you became a stone in the shoe. Uh, there's a certain sense in which size matters, numbers matter, but uh, to go in and defend an employee when they are facing a crisis in their workplace, uh, you have to be in there, but you become like a stone in the shoe. Was that a fair enough way of saying
2: where the power is at the present? Well, uh, there were laws in this country, although the governments have done their level best to to ride roughshod over them, but particularly in Queensland and, and in Victoria, uh the laws are quite clear and uh, the unions uh, the the government could not just say you must be mandated I must uh, get the job or you lose your job the the law said otherwise they had to follow a process and of course they didn't want to follow the process and the um, you know this is probably a, a future discussion sometime the the behavior of the judiciary and the and the uh, you know the industrial relations commissions in relation to this sub- they were not impartial mm. they were absolutely partial
0: let's take another call alex is in melbourne hi alex welcome
1: uh hello there very interesting situa uh, conversation and
3: uh,
1: i'm just wondering though uh uh oh, i forgot the guest's name but anyway uh, graham, graham is our <laughs> guest <laughs> graham thanks graham uh, thanks neil is it neil neil <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. i'm graham yep. yeah. Yeah. Yeah right. Um, i was just wondering with uh, with the voting coming up, you know, one I forget which one it is. There's a uh, you have to have preferences. Can I ask Graeme uh, where would your preferences go with, as far as that go? You know, voting.
2: Well, you know, we're supposed to be a political too well, my personal view is the um, you know, in some respects, I think what the LNP done has done or lot, had not done is far worse than what the ALP did. At least the ALP were motivated by, this is an opportunity to get some votes and get power. Um, And they were ostensibly looking after our health, which, of course, they weren't. But the LNP just remained silent. I mean, the whole point of the Westminster system is you have Her Majesty's government and Her Majesty's opposition. And the opposition's role is to fight and is to argue the case. They just abandoned the field. They wouldn't... They've agreed to everything, and it's unbelievably stupid politics in my view because they get none of the glory for the good bits and the, they get to share the, the, the chagrin for the bad bits. So that, does that help you? I'm, I'm not a fan of, yeah. of either major company uh, 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 party. I think you've got to go to the, the, the miners. Alex, thank you so much for your call. And I've got to
0: say that Christian commentators – and lobby outfits are really recognising this time around uh, whoever ends up in government is going to be the best of a bad bunch, Uh, that neither the ALP nor the Liberals even deserve to be in power. Uh, There is some thought that uh, a crossbench that might be made up of people at least with a conscience and with a heart towards some of these Christian angles that we often talk about uh, may even be the best outcome for the Parliament. So uh, look out for what might be happening in the commentary that comes in the lead-up to the election campaign. Coming back to the unions, Graham, when we talk about uh, if people were to swap sides uh, out of the monopoly unions, join one of the Red Unions, uh, there is something that happens and there's a dynamic that happens. Uh, it's If it's just a trickle, it might not make much difference. But if there's a flood, it could be a breaking up of a political power block that, in fact, attacks these Christian heritage foundations we're talking about. Uh, what are your aspirations for what
2: Red Union might be? Well, everyone... Uh the, uh, how can I start this? The, 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 all the major institutions around the world, including in Australia, have been taken over by the left, And everybody's complaining about, oh, we must do something about it. Well, you have to do something about it. You can't just complain and hope that there will be a politician or come along and do it, because politicians actually don't lead. What you need to do, I believe, is you need to have a cohort. If you want to reform the health system, you need a cohort of nurses, a significant cohort, who are on side with the reforms? And in, in health, it's simple. Every nurse in Australia pretty much has their own dedicated bureaucrats. In Queensland, we've got forty thousand nurses in Queensland Health, and there's more than forty thousand bureaucrats. Now, you don't need to have forty thousand bureaucrats. You can probably run the system if you decentralise it with about five or ten thousand. So you've just created sort of. 35,000 jobs that don't need to be there, you can start paying nurses 25% more. Same with teachers. You know, every teacher has their own dedicated bureaucrat. I mean, my my stepson is, uh, is a teacher and he was just telling me last night that they, if only they could spend enough time teaching, you know, and preparation for the teaching. Instead, they've got to fill out all these forms and they have to look after everyone else. So, again, the solution is, for education, go to charter and independent schools. In Queensland, we've got 47,000 know, uh, teachers, are member of the they so about 50,000, not Q&MU, QTU. So there's about 50,000 teachers. Uh, and again, there's around about 40,000, 50,000 bureaucrats. If you get rid of the bureaucrats with independent schools, you don't need the bureaucracy. You can pay teachers 25% more. Yeah. That's how we do
0: it. Uh, not running out of time here, very quickly, uh, criticisms of Red Union, uh, criticisms of you, uh, that you've not got, uh, you don't have the democracy of those monopoly unions, or you don't have the strength of a union. Uh, what are your responses to those sorts of criticisms?
2: Well, okay, first one, the the democracy angle, good gracious me. Uh, When was the last time a union executive ever changed? You know, um, I'm using this as an example. Beth Moll currently the secretary of the the Q&MU in Queensland. Uh, You know, she's been there for something like um, 10, 15 years. She's sort of due to retire. They would know who the next secretary is going to be, the they the the system the monopoly unions have really rigged the system so that uh, it's highly predictable and one of the things they did that was fascinating is they outsourced the elections to the to the um, Australian Electoral Commission so there's no funny business going on but if you wanted to challenge how can you do it? Your, your message is not going to get out to, uh, to the members. Uh, yep.
0: Okay, so it's the same uh, in whatever union structure you're talking about. There is a sustainable leadership model, and uh, they know who the next leaders will be. Yeah. You know who the next leaders will be uh, under your uh, organisation as well. Look, uh, time's running out. Let's see if we can squeeze one more call in. Anne is in North Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome.
4: Thank you. Thank you for taking the call.
0: Need to be quick, um, Anne. What are well, your thoughts?
4: Well, my experience with Red Union has been phenomenal. I've just felt so supported, whereas with my previous um, uh, union, uh, <laughs> I'm, I might as well have not have been around except to get money out of me.
0: Okay, exactly. well, we'll take that as a, an endorsement and a comment for Graham, who has been our guest through this past hour. For listeners today, you might be a member of the traditional monopoly unions and you're thinking maybe my money might be spent elsewhere. Perhaps I'll make a saving. Perhaps I'll deny money to a side of politics which might be and uh, let's say it's arguable, because both sides are pretty bad right now, but uh, arguably the worst attacks are coming from the left in Australia, attacking the Christian heritage and foundations of our nation. You might want to check out Red Union, redunion.com.au, redunion.com.au and uh, i suspect there your opportunity to connect directly with graham haycroft graham is the founder of red union uh, wants to give workers protection without the politics redunion.com.au uh, graham thanks so much for coming in and sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020
2: thank you do the pleasure